Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to another episode of A Novel Evening. My name is Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as at Blotted Ink Books. And for this episode, I'm joined by a debut author who's already making waves uh, in the Bookstagram community. His debut novel, Isaac and the Egg, is due out in August of this year and is already getting such amazing reviews. I mean, I cannot wait to get myself a copy. It sounds like nothing I've ever read before. Um, and I can't wait to have a chat. I'm also very excited because he has got the uh, the narration for the audiobook is by Johnny Flynn, who I know some of my books to powers are obsessed with. So if you didn't already want to read it, that might make you want to pick up the audiobook. But he is Bobby Palmer. Uh, Isaac and the Egg comes out in August, and I'm very excited to dive into his novel evening. A massive hello to Bobby. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm very excited to chat with you. Um, how are you coping with the heat and the, the summer we apparently now have? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my best. I, it, I'm, I have like a very British approach to uh, weather like this, where I complain about the, the rain or the cold all winter. And then the first time there's a hot day, I'm like, I can't cope. I can't cope with it. <laughs> I'm so sunburnt as well. I went in the sea yesterday, which was glorious. Um, and I forgot that that makes you burn um so but only on one half of me so it's just my back half is incredibly red um so I feel very British with my I've white actually, front. <laughs> I've managed to sunburn my shins which I didn't know was was possible but sort of my shins and nothing else so that's quite yeah. impressive actually <laughs> I look like a fab lolly <laughs> yeah oh my god my other half is he works outside and he has the most outrageous farmer tan you've ever mm. seen. Like he's literally like the darkest brown from like the elbows down. And every time it's like this, I'm like, you need to even it out. He's like, it will never happen. I'll just be like red, white, brown. Yeah, see, authors are sort of the exact opposite of that. Authors are, we all look like Gollum. <laughs> yeah, literally you're like white and then the sun comes out and you all emerge and like <laughs> sunlight <laughs> out of yeah, your libraries go, and your offices. Go straight back inside. <laughs> So obviously, you're here to chat all about your debut novel that's coming out in August, which is not very far away. No. <laughs> Isaac and the Egg. Tell me a bit, I read the blurb, and it still seems like a mystery to me. I'm very excited to dive in, and I've heard amazing things. But tell me a little bit about Isaac and the Egg. So I think, I mean, I think that's intentional, because I think it's one of those books where it is good, the the less you know when you start it. But uh it's about a man who's going through a very tough time. It's it's sort of one of the worst mornings of his life. And he finds himself on a bridge. Um, from that bridge, he hears a scream in the woods. Uh, he goes into the woods to investigate and he finds a giant white egg uh, and decides to take it home. Um, 
and that's all I'm telling you. As, as you do, that's frequently yeah. what I do on my on my trips out. Exactly, yeah, it's just your standard stuff, really. Where did this idea come from? So I wanted to, originally I, I, I wanted to write a book that had this, um, this massive contradiction. So I wanted it to be like a really quite dark, quite serious human story, but then have this totally absurd element in it. Um, and it's quite heavily influenced, but or it, it draws a lot on and references quite a lot ET. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's basically you have this this trope throughout pop culture of the the sort of boy meets otherworldly sidekick. Yep. Um, you know whether that's uh, ET or Baby Yoda or um, you know, any of those sort of 80s films with like strange little puppets in. Um, and I sort of wanted to take that idea of the, the, the strange little sidekick and put that in a story about really serious subjects. So it's, it's yeah. about grief, it's about loneliness, it's about um, sort of modern masculinity and, and, and what it takes to open up. Um, so yeah, I, it's quite funny because people ask me why an egg and I, uh, I, I honestly don't remember ever being like, this is what's going to happen. It just, I just always knew that Isaac would walk into the woods and find an egg and, and we'd go from there. You've mentioned that it touches on, you know, difficult themes. How does that feel to write? Because obviously everyone's experience is so different surrounding mental health and grief. And, you know, you're potentially writing a, a novel that's going to really really touch on someone on a very personal level do you feel a sense of responsibility when you're writing a story like that yeah definitely I I didn't want to um it was a really interesting tightrope actually because it, it's I, I would class it as a comedy more more than a right. tragedy but um I didn't want it to ever seem like it was making light of something it's almost like these two things are happening at the same time there's right. the the story of Isaac and his grief and then there's the story of Isaac and the egg um and I, I mean I found the way to sort of tap into that um individual individuality of grief I I wanted it to very much be a story just about Isaac and what he's going through um you have this sort of tandem love story in the in the novel in, in the same way so it's Isaac and his his wife Mary in the past and then Isaac and the egg in the present um but I find I I've found it absolutely amazing that people have said they've they've sort of connected with it yeah. uh, so much in that respect because it felt to me like I was writing a really specific story and it, as an author it's the best thing for for people to say you know I really I really felt something uh in that book and, and in the same way people tend to bring their own experiences and almost create their own uh, egg as weird as that sounds yeah. everyone, everyone has a totally <laughs> different interpretation of this uh this thing that is very I have a very clear image of yeah and I'm almost like did I not describe it right but I think it's I think it's just that people um people sort of bring their own their own um mind to it and I, I love that yeah, I think that's so fascinating. As you say, people, you know, finding a way to relate to the story and relate to the egg. And I yeah. do love you were saying, you know, about representing, you know, masculinity and mental health and vulnerability in men. I feel like that's something we really don't read that much about in stories. I think as a woman, 
mental health for women is portrayed quite a lot in stories. I don't think you get as much of that from the perspective of men, especially with grief. I feel that's something that traditionally for men has been something that's kind of secreted away and isn't portrayed on the page as much. So I think it's very brave of you to, to put that out there, but also to have, you know, comedic themes is very bold. Well, there, there's, there's a lot of conversation that says, um, oh, uh, you know, men can open up now. Um, ask, ask your mate how he is, uh, take your mate for a pint. But it, it hasn't really translated to much more than that in, in general culture. And like, I, I was writing a book as a young man, just writing about what it's like being a young man. And that, and that was very much what I approached the book as more than a, as a sort of grief book. I, I was writing about a guy who's on the, I sort of say, but the cliff edge of 30, he's, he's still in touch with all his friends, but they, you know, they've all got their own lives. They're all going off and doing their own thing, which I think a lot of people uh, sort of in their, their late twenties, early thirties can relate to. And, that was sort of the inciting incident in him losing Mary, Isaac losing Mary, is that he, she was the only person that he would ever actually really open up to. So you then have this thing where it's like, well, I, Isaac's mates will say, uh, oh yeah, we're there for you. But then what does that really translate as when everyone's off living their own lives? And, and that's why the egg comes in, it becomes this uh, sort of when you've lost that, lost your person, uh, what does it take for a man to open up? Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed uh, being able to explore that. And, and like you said, it, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I was writing something that I would like to read, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of stuff out there at the moment. Um, quite, quite like it, I guess. And your 30s, I think, I'm, I'm 32 this year. Um, I feel like your late 20s to early 30s are a really strange time. I feel like it's that funny dividing period where people are either settling down. I got married very, very young. I got married when I was 19 and I had kids in my early 20s. So I was kind of the exception to the rule. But your friends are either starting to settle down and get married and have families or they're still kind of riding high from the uni and the, the single life. And yeah. it's kind of that funny middle ground, isn't it? As you say, you know, your mates are either still kind of like living the party lifestyle and getting to do all of that stuff or they're settling down and have their own families and if you're kind of in the middle and you're suffering with loss or grief or or anything it's a really funny place to be isn't it that kind of age I feel like it's almost like everyone up until that point is on one track together and then all those all those tracks start sort of yeah. branching off you know the, the, there's the people who are going off to an, a happy life of bachelorhood going out every night and there's the people going off like you said to start families um and I think that's sort of what happens with Isaac in the book is, is he gets derailed from that and he sees everyone else yeah. going off and, and living their own lives. And then he's uh, sort of shutting doors in his dressing gown, not really knowing what to do. And then um, the egg. <laughs> yeah, and then the egg, because I, 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 I wrote the whole book during the first coronavirus lockdown. So wow. it was weirdly, even though I, I haven't experienced what Isaac's going through in the book, it, it became a really um, apt time to write it because, yeah. because it, it was this story of isolation and of sort of losing touch with the outside world at, at, at a, a time when we were sort of collectively going through that. Yeah, and you know, I think it probably will resonate with more people as a result because, we, you know, we were enforced to be isolated. Um, 
And I think people will be able to read part of their own story and their experiences yeah. in that for sure. I'm very, very excited to uh totally to like sort of light to the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Which I think people uh, I like to think we all we all need a bit of right now. We really do. I think we need some we need some happy endings. <laughs> I feel yeah. like <laughs> and I'm hoping Isaac will will get it without giving anything away. I'm I'm it sounds like a hopeful book. I think, yeah, I think it is a hopeful book. I, I would say it's, I mean, the nicest reactions that I've had are people say they laugh and they cry on the same page. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I think you you go away with a, a smile on your face. That's true for E.T., right? Like, I think you watch yeah. E.T. and it's, it's simultaneously hilarious, you know, because he's a fish out of water and he doesn't know what he's doing, but also really sad and really poignant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very, very excited. And I have no idea what we're going to get from your novel evening now. <laughs> um, it's eclectic. It's going to be eclectic. Oh, you know, a few people have said that and they're never, ever lying um, <laughs> when they say that. So we need to start with where are we going to go for your evening? OK, so um, we are going to Redwall Abbey. Uh, I don't know if you... You are the second person to come on here and really? choose that. Yes, my um, my friend and neighbour, she does a parenting blog. She chose it um, predominantly for the food that's portrayed. And that's exactly why I'm choosing it. It, it is, I mean, the, the, these Redwall books by uh, Brian and uh, Jacques, um, they, they're all, they're, they're about anthropomorphic mice and uh, badgers and squirrels who all live in a big church in, in this sort of idyllic English countryside but they just they're, they're descript the way they describe and incorporate food is just uh sort of I've never read anything like it and and there's even a, a twitter account called red wall feast spot that just tweets out descriptions of food from red, red wall because there are so many so it's all you get all these descriptions of like celery studded cheese and giant um sort of platters of, of fresh vegetables all this honey and it's just really evocative so every time you read those books even as a kid you, you your mouth sort of watering so uh, i thought if i was choosing a fictional location for a dinner why not choose the the absolute sort of creme de la she literally creme. came on and she read like she's like i'm gonna read this bit and i think it was about breads and there was yeah, like 10 yeah. different types of bread and i was literally sat there like i am starving now and well, you can well, find I a mean, cookbook as well for the red wall they made they made a cookbook oh really wow. yeah, well, i should get that i mean they it's funny because all the foods they describe if you actually so have them yourselves i mean it's like walnut bread and um yeah just like I mean there's a lot of cheese and I, I love cheese so I think that's that's why I, they won me over straight away there's also a lot of like um murky ales and ciders so I am I am Dorset born in, in Devon bread so cider. Yeah, there you go. yeah exactly um this is what we live on <laughs> and, and cheese. No, they, there's just this there's just this really fun um raucous energy to you know the, and I, I just love the, the the weirdness of these books which are about they're sort of like lord of the rings but but the all the creatures are replaced by woodland animals but it will give huge descriptions of, of battles and quests and stuff and then it will give you two pages of here's what they ate that <laughs> night or here's what they sat around the campfire and they sort of 
toasted in in leaves and i just love the idea that uh brian was sort of sitting there writing it and being like you know his editor was going maybe less descriptions of food and he was going no the food stays if anything more <laughs> yes exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna have to read these books i've never i've seen them because i remember seeing the covers that had you know mice in armor and stuff yeah yeah and we do love our woodland animals don't we we love you know we love all that stuff i i'm gonna have to read them because they sound a lot of fun well, they're, um, they're a big part of my um my childhood um so i think they've always stayed with me um but yeah especially the food and i was a really picky eater as a kid so i was reading them being like celery no even i wouldn't even eat like a an apple as a kid and they're like oh celery studded cheese mm, yeah, that sounds yeah. delightful so now <laughs> i can go back and read them as an adult and just sort of drool and and take down notes but there's something homely as well. I feel like bread and cheese and vegetables, all those mm. very medieval style foods. There's something really yeah. homely, you know, cooked meats. What is it about yeah. that that we're all like, oh, that just makes you feel comforted? Yeah, I think sort of, uh, it's like, I mean, the Red War books are full of that sort of harking back to like, oh, the good old day. Yeah. If you, if you, you get me an old, old cheese and an old, old ale, I'll, I'll happily go along. Right. Okay. So we're going to hang out at this abbey. We're going to eat some amazing food. Who's the first person you're going to invite? Okay, so the this is this is going to be a bit of a, a weird shift from that because you're going to have to imagine this person in this place, which is quite strange. But uh, I'm going to invite Mrs. Dalloway. Um, right. The uh, titular character from the Virginia Woolf novel. Yeah. Um, the reason being, well, firstly, Mrs. Dalloway is my favourite book of all time, so I sort of had to get it in there but Mrs Dalloway is a book which in its entirety is about a woman meticulously planning a party so I think and I've, I've been very I've been quite practical with my guests actually so it's, it's going to be one of those parties where look we've rented out Red Wall Abbey for the day and everyone's going to muck in in their own way right so um Mrs. Dalloway will, as the first line of, of the book says, buy the flowers herself. Um, but I think she will also be able to uh, put it all together very nicely. Um, I would say Mrs. Dalloway is not, it's not probably the happiest of books. And right. <laughs> uh, internally, it's probably a bit dour for like a really fun party, but if she's if she's planning and if we can sort of make sure she has a good time then Mrs Dalloway is definitely my first guest yeah and I think you know we'll ply her with some rich meads and yeah. she'll, have, she'll have a great time well she's never been to Redwall Abbey so maybe that's that's the uh what she's missing there we go yeah that's the thing maybe she's just needed this setting and this particular party okay you're not again you're not the first person to invite her either so there must be something about her that draws you know people to her so there's a reason I, she's there. I believe there will be a couple of people I'm inviting that other people haven't invited so far. But okay, we'll who, who is next? Okay, so if we're going on from the party planning, uh, right. and then we're going on to sort of thinking about the menu, um, I'm inviting this is another uh, children's book um, suggestion. Actually, I'm inviting Boggis Bunsen Bean from the fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, okay. So that 
then they're not nice guys. No. Um, they're, the, they're the villains of the piece. But uh, once again, and I, it must be a it must be a kids' book thing. Roald Dahl writes so well about food, and he <laughs> I love food, and I reread Miss uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox recently, and he, he he sort of tries to make you dislike these three farmers by saying, oh, one of them. One of them just has a giant larder full of uh, a cider that he's made himself from his own apples. One of them eats nothing but donuts filled with uh, goose liver pate from his own geese. And the other one eats three boiled chickens a day. And I was sort of like, oh, I want to I hang out with these guys. I wanna, this sounds great. You read it with very different eyes as an adult where you're like, mm, goose liver pate donuts. Yeah, well, the th- I mean, the thing is he... Roald Dahl is quite, he's quite realistic with Fantastic Mr. Fox in that the fox, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox, he burrows up into these farms and he eats the chickens. You know, it says, it, it describes, it's like he snaps their neck with a swift, and then it's like, you know, he, he goes off about his day and it's not mentioned again. So I was thinking like, it's not like, you know, if he was a, a sort of vegan fox who was liberating the chickens, then I wouldn't necessarily be on uh, Boggis Bunsen being side, but because the uh, the chickens are perishing anyway, we might as well have them along to our party, prepping is, all the food. He is detrimentally affecting their livelihoods, you know. If you exactly. <laughs> yeah. to be fair, and I really think like with Roald was food, I remember reading like Matilda and Bruce Bogdrotter's chocolate cake. I was in no way repulsed by that. Yeah. I just I wanted think, the cake. I don't think there's any kid who read that scene and wasn't actually going i'd love this i'd give and this also, and also, go. i'd finish all the game <laughs> <laughs> do you remember this might be my age but there was a tv program for kids which was the recipes of roald dahl i don't want to say it was like no. gary rhodes or one of the proper like quintessential 90s chefs the cbbc or wherever made the recipes That's and amazing. made this giant cake and i think he did make like the Either it was like obviously not alcoholic cider, but he made like bubbling ciders and mm, yeah. yeah. There's something about food in Roald Dahl that you're meant to be like a little bit repulsed. I feel like, and actually, you're just really hungry. And it's sort of like you like. I think it's the repulsiveness that you sort of, you know, the the idea of sweets that would make you blow up into a giant blueberry, and you go like, oh, I, you know, I I'd risk being that blueberry. It's the the gum. I remember like when they have the the main course, and you're like, oh my oh, it's God, like a roast tomato dinner soup. Or yeah, it's the roast. It's tomato yeah. soup, then a roast dinner, and then blueberry pie. And I was like, yeah, to be fair, <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so these guys are going to come. They're going to help sort out the menu. Yeah. Um, they're here. Who's next? Okay, so th- this is my last person that I'm I'm forcing to sort of uh, work. work. but I recently read um, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmas which is obviously one of the big books of of this year and her main character Elizabeth Zott is uh, just the most interesting person but also the most fantastic chef she's a scientist who sort of gets lumbered with a, a cooking show but ends up teaching the nation more than how to cook basically yeah. but she that's another book that, that talks about food really well and I, it reminded me weirdly of um a book I love which is sort of a cookbook called Salt Fat Acid Heat mm-hmm. uh, which was made into a Netflix show that's by Sam and Nosrat but both 
that and lessons in chemistry take a really scientific approach to how they talk about cooking so it'll be sort of molecules and um, lipids and all these like amazing so I, I was never really into science but I felt like I was having a science lesson as I as I read both those books so yeah Elizabeth Zott is going to come along and she she doesn't have to do the cooking but she she'll give us some pointers so that we can make yeah. some really really delicious food she also has in that book a fantastic dog called I think it's called 630 um and he's a sort of ugly uh wirehaired sort of gray dog who's really lovable and who the book is sometimes almost from his point of view uh so she is obliged to bring him along as well as long as he's not going to go around trying to sort of eat the mice of red wall hopefully not that would be very awkward i definitely sense a theme in the guests that you've got and it seems to be food (laughs) Uh, i'm absolutely on board science you can eat is about the only science i'm remotely interested in yes well that's the thing it's uh you know bunsen burners and test tubes and stuff i'm bored but if someone tells me that uh letting the butter foam off so that so that all the water's gone so that your your chicken skin's extra extra crispy then i'm in yes yeah 100 percent. there's a reason like heston blumenthal you know i'm not particularly yeah. interested in the hows and whys but just when he like finishes at the end there's like a golden apple that you bite into and it evaporates and stuff i'm yeah. like yeah, yeah i'm down Okay, so that's your guests who have to, you know, work for their supper. Yeah. Do you have any guests coming who can just turn up? Yes. Uh, so I, I thought, okay, we've got a really nice meal. We've got um, this sort of great setting. Maybe there's like a little mole rolling up some kegs of whiskey up from the uh, cell yeah. or something. But then I thought a couple of really good storytellers would be yes. nice. You know, keep the conversation going nicely. So I thought that Mary Shelley would be a good Ooh. addition. The reason being, as the you know famous story goes, that she was asked to come up with a scary story one night um, at a, a, a sort of party, maybe like ours. And, maybe uh, there was she, mice. Yeah, exactly. And she was asked by a by a hedgehog to come up with a story one night, um, and she came up with Frankenstein. So. You know, maybe maybe she'll be on form again at our party and come up with another uh, classic. I I mean, just to hear that, to hear that she just came up with that idea, you know, it sickens me a little bit. I think I she think, was about. I think she was like nineteen years old as well. Literally, anything I could have come up with at nineteen would not have been worth reading <laughs> <laughs> at all. I mean, wild. Yeah, I can imagine her next to a big roaring fire and. Regalious yeah. with some with some creepy tales. I'm down for that. Yeah. While these these little uh, mice and shrews cower around, look terrified. Around yeah. yeah, I'm I'm down for that. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. yeah. So I've got another another storyteller who okay. is um, a bit more on the funny side. Uh, one of my favourite authors, George Saunders. So he's a, a more modern author. He wrote uh, Lincoln in the Bardo. Yeah. But he just he's really good and I'd, I'd like to meet him so this is a selfish one I'd like to meet him but also he's um he's got a very witty engaging way of writing but he's also predominantly a short story writer and I thought that's a good person to have at the table because you don't want a novelist who's gonna 
go on a bit too long. So I think George Saunders would tell you some nice, funny anecdotes that aren't going to have all the uh, all the hedgehogs falling asleep. You've really thought this through. This is this is balance. You've got you know a dramatic storyteller. You've got someone who's witty and you know can fire off some interesting stories. You've got voles and stuff running around. I absolutely agonised over it. I, you know, I, I was like, I really, I, it was like, it was like you had told me that this party was happening tonight and I needed to make it a success. I've been sitting there this afternoon. It's been really hot. I've been, I've been like, oh no, you know, if I, if I have Hemingway, he might be rude. If I, yeah. Hemingway would be rude, but I would enjoy that. He'd be good to drink with, but sort of just you and him propping up the bar, I think. Yeah, and I would. I would try and match him drink for drink and it would be horrific. They'd <laughs> <laughs> I mean, be being wheeled out by some hedgehogs. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that all of your guests for your evening? I have I have one more. One more. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a group actually. Um oh, okay. And this is for after dinner. Um I thought I would invite, and I, I'm only realizing now that I've predominantly got children's books, but I love, I absolutely love children's books, and I think. Uh, when you read Isaac and the Egg it's quite obvious there's a lot of children's book inspiration um, yeah the two lead characters are a children's illustrator and a children's author uh, I just absolutely love um, the the sort of things that children's books can yeah. create in such weird worlds yeah. um, so I'm the, lucky now I get to reread all of these books to my children yeah. and I kind of like rediscover it through fresh eyes which I yeah, love yeah yeah it's the mad the old magic um, well, my yeah, my final guests are the wild things from where the wild things are, because I just think they'd be great at a party, you know, sort of let the wild ruckus begin. And then uh, they're having a dance off with Boggus, Buns and Bean. Yeah. What would all the small woodland creatures make of this? I think they'd be scuttering away at this point. They would not be hanging out for the afternoon. Yeah, party. yeah. I actually, you know what? I didn't think that they'd probably be be squashed or or eaten <laughs> in this case. So. Yeah, I feel Maybe. like that's when they can go. They've done their job though. They can go and rest. Yeah, out. yeah. Maybe we're we're sort of taking over the abbey and being like, you guys, you know, get out of here for the weekend, or you're going to get yeah. eaten or cooked. <laughs> Yeah, you take your symbols of, of mead and go in and hide somewhere. I think that seems very fair. Um, yeah, that's a book that I didn't, obviously I was quite a lot older when it came out, but I read it very recently to my children and I wasn't that aware of it. And then when I read it, it is so magical. Yeah, it's it's one of those really amazing books and it's helped by um, the illustrations, which oh. are obviously amazing. But it's one of those books that does so much with, so so little um it's just great I mean it's 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 sort of you feel like there's so much more to it when you read it because it really does take you into its world and it yeah it, it's always been it's always been one of my favorites I, I think it's just a book that every every one child or adult should read yeah so the big question the tricky one is is there anyone you don't want to turn up anyone I don't want to turn up yes yes I think so um uh yeah I I wouldn't want Poirot there oh yeah no I agree with that to be fair so I don't you know I don't have anything against him he's got a great <laughs> mustache personally he, he's probably you know he's probably a, he's a very very intelligent guy he's probably a good 
Dinagas, but if Poirot's there, one of us is going to die. Oh, that's very true. That's and very, very did, true. And I wonder, you know, everyone, he's a, he's a famous detective even in his own fictional world, so I wonder if, if you ever go out for dinner and Poirot's there, or say you're, you're on a boat on the Nile and Poirot's there, do you think everyone's sort of looking at him and going like, oh... All right, one of us is going to die, aren't we? Because Poirot's here. So, um, and you're the so, host yeah. of the evening, so it's either you who's going to die or you're going to be the main suspect. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I'm, uh, yeah, if, if he was there, maybe I'd be sitting there looking at him being like, I'm either going to die or I'm either going to kill someone tonight. And neither, <laughs> neither of those are how I want this evening to end. No. So, if I see him when I walk in, I'm walking straight back out. Oh, my mum is a bit obsessed with Poirot. And to be honest, I think she's ruined the character by re-watching the David Suchet ones so many times that me and my family just hate him now, um, which is have terribly you, unfair, really. Have you seen the newer ones, the uh, Kenneth Branagh ones? I'm not a Kenneth Branagh fan at all. And maybe I'll get burnt at the stake oh, for saying that. I, I just sort of admired how they... <laughs> We're like, okay, we're rebooting Poirot and in the and in the sort of Hollywood style, we're like, we need to make his moustache four times bigger. It's going to so, be on a big screen. It needs to be the largest you've ever seen. Yeah, it's like this guy's tash. <laughs> it's, got a, it's almost like they thought, you know, the, the problem with David Suchet when they were like, everything's fine apart from the fact that his moustache <laughs> is not blowing your head off. It's so, it's such a subtle moustache that David Suchet is rocking. We need it to be like seven times bigger. Yeah, exactly. Have its own character in its own right. No, I really don't like Kenneth Branagh. I, I'm, it's it's bad. As soon as I read he was me Poirot, I was like, well, I already hate Poirot. I will only hate. Him. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, Army Hammer's in this one. I was like, oh no, I think I'm just gonna give, <laughs> give this a miss. <laughs> it's so a real rogue, rogues gallery of actors actually in the second one. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> But to be fair, they they chose to still release it, so you know they they stuck with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it must be annoying, um, sort of filming a film before a pandemic, and then the pandemic lasts two years, and pretty much everyone in your cast has been well, yeah ostracized. From yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like shit. It's only cost us like millions of pounds to make. Yeah. We just have to brazen this out. But no, po Poirot himself is, uh, you know. I, uncancelled a great a yeah. great guy does a lot of good work but but <laughs> not not at my party no no I completely agree with that I think your evening is well thought out I think you've considered your guests and yeah. I think it's been a lot of fun I hope so yeah I'm really looking forward to it <laughs> I approve greatly um <laughs> this is one of the ones that actually I think I would genuinely like to attend and not just saying that um, so well done. That's that's some impressive work. <laughs> Thank you. I, I really enjoyed. Uh, well, at the time, I, I, I found it incredibly daunting and didn't enjoy it. But in, in hindsight, I've enjoyed putting it together. I mean, I've never done mine. I, I'm at some point I need to actually do it because I set all these people this task and I've never actually stopped to consider who would be at mine. I feel like it would be less intellectual and more just characters I really fancy. Yeah. To be honest with you. But I'd like to pretend that in my head I would have some really deep, thoughtful characters there. It, it's funny because I thought it was going to be really easy. And then I, I genuinely, I stood in front of my bookshelf and I was like, there's not, 
because a lot of characters in books are quite introspective and and yeah. dare I say miserable that <laughs> if, if you if you put a sort of random selection of novel protagonists around the table there wouldn't there wouldn't be much to talk about I think no, it'd be a bit depressing actually I think yeah, it would yeah yeah um so I really struggled to find people I mean as much as I love reading I struggle to find characters from books that I'd actually want to that's probably why with. though children's books are so much more fun yeah 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 I um I did I I did think there were, there were a lot of other sort of children's books characters. I mean, any of the Mister Men, for example, they'd be they'd be great. Uh, I don't know. I agree with them. There's some bad there's some bad eggs in the Mister Men. Yes, yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want Mister Grumpy or Mister Nosy. Yes, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, but yeah, I think kids' books are infinitely more fun. Um, I think you've got a good balance. Thank so you. Well done. A, a, a star for your evening, if I'm craving. <laughs> Did I pass? <laughs> you passed. Well done. Uh, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your rest of your evening, I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the nice thing about having some hot weather is I feel like I, I absolutely devour books because you can't really... All you can do is lie and, and melt and, and read. Uh, so I finished one... Yesterday, I finished Milk Fed by Melissa Broder. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. It's a strange book. Uh, yeah, I've also so read that. Wrote, she wrote, yeah, The, the Pisces. Um, which, which I Melissa's have read. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, I mean, I don't think it's giving too much away to say it's essentially an erotic love story with a merman. Uh, but but other than that, and, and to be fair, you know, I it's, it's exactly my sort of book because a bit like my book, it's every other element of it is is just normal life but then yeah. it's like oh there's also a merman here uh so i sort of i admired it for that but i i found it quite grim at times yes it's, grim is the word it it's the least sexy erotic book i've ever picked yeah, up it's, actually it's, <laughs> it, it just it's quite grotesque and quite sad and i actually think it, if you were to meet a merman or a mermaid what it would actually be like yeah but I think I think yeah I think it is you're right it's sort of intentionally like that yeah and then what what's funny about milk fed I, and I, I did actually really enjoy it is it's it it sort of does the same that it's about um a woman who has a really complicated relationship with food and it's got it it's it's defined by these purposefully grotesque depictions of food and it's just all about food and and it's also a, a sort of a love story um and I I thought I was going to be grossed out by it because I had read the Pisces I thought I was gonna it was gonna leave like a you know I, I thought I was gonna be like oh that's that's made me feel miserable but it's it is it's gross in parts but it's also weirdly sort of like happy I think like I, I felt like the overall message would maybe I I mean I could have been in like a a temperature induced fugue state while your I was brain had actually swollen from the heat and had told yeah, you yeah <laughs> but I felt like it was um I don't know I felt like it it had an overall positive message maybe okay. but maybe I need to read it again but I know I quite I quite enjoyed it um and then today totally different book I started High Rise by J.G. Ballard oh is, I think it's written in the 70s and it's about a 
high-rise building of a thousand apartments yeah. just sort of descending into anarchy. They made um, a film of it, right? Yeah, they did with Tom Hiddleston, yeah, actually, yeah. which I've not seen, but I think I will watch after I've read it. But it's got one of the best opening lines I've ever read, which is, it's I, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, um, as he was sitting on the balcony eating the dog, Dr. Robert Lang would start to wonder what had gone on in his high-rise building the last three months. Yeah, and that's, that's a, I've absolutely botched it there, but it's something like that. And you just go, okay, yeah, I'm in. This is going to be wild. Well, you, just, <laughs> you just believe it. And uh, yeah, I, I, almost, I actually almost was like, maybe, maybe that's where the party will be held in that high-rise building. But um, I feel like that's a very different party. Different party, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not, not the kind that... Uh, no, this sounds like a drug-induced stupor, actually. Yeah. Um, and if it's yeah. not, it should be. Not None of that at, at Redwall Abbey. No, I think, no. <laughs> I think it will be quite quaint at Redwall Abbey. Pretty, pretty PG, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, I'd be very intrigued to see what you make of that book because I've been very tempted to pick up a copy. Um, so I'll be intrigued to see what you, what you make of it. I'm really enjoying it so far. Ah, cool. It's, well, it's thank you. Nice. It's weird. Yeah. Oh God. Well, I will wait for your full review when you finish uh, and wait and see what you think. And thank you again for coming and chatting with me um, and for your your wonderful evening, actually. I'm very impressed. Well, research. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for letting letting me uh, sort of ramble on and have my have my uh, have your evening. It's been a real feat of imagination for a for a been i'm impressed and also food <laughs> you wanted the food yes. So yes isaac and the egg is out next month so i urge everyone to get a copy i will be getting myself one i'll be reading because i want to see if the egg hatches that's my main <laughs> question question number one <laughs> question number one yeah d- does it hatch two is it something jim henson-esque that comes out of it that's my two main questions <laughs> and is there a happy ending so yes thank you so so much thanks for having me Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 